0: Welcome to the Chess Underground, eccentricities, peculiarities, and theoretical novelties. I'm here with uh, National Master William Aramal. Uh, Will, you have the very distinguished honor of being the first um, chess master, the first, I guess, titled player on the Chess Underground. How do you feel about that?
1: Whoa, and you chose me? (laughs) Of all the people to choose from? Well, I guess I'm honored. Um, But after all, I mean, my nickname is Will the Thrill, Eromil. I I don't think that came about for no reason at all. Uh, But it's a a pleasure to be on, Pete. And uh, this brings back some good memories uh, from the U.S. Open last year, where you kind of impromptu asked me to join uh, a live chess stream for the U.S. Open. So... Uh, i'm glad to be back uh i'm more than happy to be robin in this uh partnership
0: (laughs) this is the first time i've ever been referred to in any context as batman but uh well now i need i need to get you a shirt (laughs) i'll I'll take it yeah
1: what's up what size do you wear
0: uh i'd rather not say no i'm probably a large um (laughs) so so will uh you know i have a tradition of sort of letting my guests introduce themselves uh we sort of already did that but uh Tell us a little bit about you. What? Is, who is Will?
1: Well, Will is the games guy. So pretty much anything games I like to do. I like to play sports, basketball, pool, of course, chess. Um, yeah, just uh, I, I enjoy games, cards, poker, um, pretty much uh, the whole nine yards that you can think of. If it involves me competing in it, then I uh, I probably would like to do it. <laughs>
0: You that's know that's kind of, interesting because um, uh, I, I was gonna sort of begin by describing you as a jack of all trades, um, mass, master of one. <laughs> master of one. Hey, very good. I like that. I forgot about that second half of that uh, that phrase. Um, but no, you know, you you really are. I mean, we've you know we've had many conversations, and um, as you as you just described, you like a lot of games. You're very competitive in a lot of games. Um, And one of them in particular, which you and I have also played together, is the game of pool. Um, And I I, I don't know. uh, I'm not too familiar with the pool ranking system. Um, I don't know if it's similar to chess or not similar to chess. But I know you're pretty good. And from what I understand, you recently faced off in pool against a former world champion. Is that right?
1: Yeah. So I had the the pleasure and honor of playing former nine ball uh, nine ball world champion Francisco Bustamante uh, also a Filipino like myself while well, I'm only half but um I was able to play him in two different locations in Chicago the first time I played him um I was the first one to beat him in a best of three I beat him two out of three uh and also I think uh, our mutual uh, really good friend. Uh, National Master Gopal Menon as well also beat him two out of three that same day. And I told him before, or the night before I said, hey, I had a premonition that we were going to beat this guy, both (laughs) of us.
0: So, of course. So, I mean,
1: now there was a third person. So we should also
0: add, like, fortune telling to your list of accolades?
1: Uh, I mean, hey, I did pick the Raptors and the Warriors too, so uh, I guess that... Was
0: that pre or post Durant injury? Oh,
1: Oh, way before. Uh, I'm on video. I think at the amateur team saying that I think the Raptors are the team to look out for. Wow. I Remember once they got Marcus, all too. I uh, I already tipped uh, tipped the scales in their favor at least to come out of the East. So, um, but uh, yeah, back to uh, the pool against Francisco Bustamante. So I had that. Uh, honor of beating him two out of three and then i was able to play him again at another location got him one out of three there so lifetime against a, a pool world champion um three out of six so even money
0: so let me ask because um you know one of the questions that i had for you i know you're a very strong pool player i know you're a very strong chess player um and of course one of the questions i have to ask on the show is you know wh- what correlations if any do you see between the two? And This question strikes me as particularly relevant now, because I think about, you know, like if I were to play Kasparov six games, you know, I I don't think I would get three. (laughs) I don't think I would probably come close to three, you know, play. In other words, facing a former world champion in chess feels a lot more daunting. Um, Would you say that's true? Is there more of a luck element involved in nine ball in particular? I know there are some rules which can make perhaps allow luck to creep into it.
1: Yeah, so as much as I wanted to avoid this uh, part of it, I just wanted to say, oh, I'm the greatest. I beat this guy three out of six. Yeah, so nine ball, of course, there is uh, a much more severe luck element to it. Um, And you you can't beat uh, a world champion in chess three out of six. I mean, it, it just doesn't happen. I mean, there's been moments in pool where I've been able to break and run. So it doesn't matter who I'm playing against, I would have a chance of winning. So there's that that fact to it. Um, so to clarify like,
0: some of the terminology for our listeners who may not be as familiar with pool, um, first of all, nine ball, uh, if I'm saying this correctly, you have to sink the balls in order, right? One through nine.
1: Yeah, so you have to go one through nine, but the crazy element of the game is this. Just the person who sinks the nine ball or makes the nine ball wins the game. So I could sit there and make one through eight or the world champion make one through eight, miss the nine ball, I make the nine ball and say, ha, Look at you. Thanks for making all those balls for me, and now I'll make the nine ball. But you can also do combos as well. So as long as I hit whatever ball is next in sequence, let's say it's the three ball, if I contact the three, which then in turn contacts the nine, and it sinks in, then I win the game in that man. So there, there are different ways to, to win, and, and you can care them or kind of hit off a ball and then make uh, the nine ball in. So there's things like that. Um, but but ultimately, I mean, that's why they play longer races in pool. Uh, sometimes in the double digits, high double digits. And a race is know. just,
0: I assume, uh, a series of games, correct? Like you, like you played yes. a race of three, for example.
1: I, actually, technically, that's a, a race to two. So oh, okay. it's whoever okay. gets to that number first. So gotcha. I, I won two to one. And the next time I played him, he won two to one. So mm-hmm. we need that seventh game. I think that's the only way to kind of decide who the best is.
0: Right. Then you'd have a race to four. Uh, All right. Yeah, correct. Okay, correct. cool. Got but it. Right
1: now it's 3-3 three, three in the overall series. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Keep it that way. <laughs> you like it that way.
1: <laughs> I played him a second time, so. Right. Yeah, that's I true. That's true. I wasn't too afraid to taint it, so.
0: <laughs> so, um, you know, I don't know if you listened to the show, but earlier this summer we had a guest on um, Stacia Pugh who is a professional cornhole player Um, being from Illinois. (laughs) Did you, did I hear an, Oh, what? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, We call that that the bags game. You know, where you throw the beanbags at the hole.
1: Ah, Ball and hole simple concepts,
0: right? Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, So uh, you know, she, I was very impressed to hear from her all of the different strategic elements that go into uh, a game of bags. You know, you wouldn't think that throwing bean bags at a hole in a wooden box has that much strategy behind it. You just try to get the bag in the hole, right? Um, which is interesting because the more I spoke with her, the more I realized there was some. Would you say the same is true for pool? Like com- comparing pool to chess, you know, how does it stack up strategically?
1: Absolutely. Uh, I have uh, some pretty direct analogies I can give you. I would say that, you know, one of the typical things a lot of Less experienced pool players will do is they'll just see ball make ball, right? It's like okay, that's that's my plan, and that's analogous to a chess player who just wants to take pieces and just make simple attacking moves. Okay, so that's kind of the the parallel
0: between. I see a uh, capture, play. I make a capture.
1: Yeah, I mean, and but that is there a real strategy to that? No, I mean, at the end of the day, if you can capture pieces and checkmate your opponent, that's pretty good. Same thing in pool, you can make the balls and. Sink the eight ball if you're playing eight ball, or or nine ball. You make the nine ball. Of course, I mean that's the objective of the game. But at a higher level, uh, there are more latent strategies. So sometimes the best strategy is not to make a ball. It's just to position your balls in front of pockets to defend. Or at the highest levels, if you cannot run all the balls and finish the game, you need to stop your opponent from doing that because. Sometimes a great player, a great shooter. If you, you let them see the balls, they're just going to run out the table, and you lose the game. Right. At an amateur level, you can kind of get away with make a shot, make a shot. Okay, I miss, and then we kind of do that song and dance until one of us finishes. But uh, the reality is, you have to plan several steps ahead. You have to know if you can't make a shot, you have to be able to defend. So there's just so
0: many elements. And then also... So would you consider maybe an analogy to like hiding the the ball in this case would be something like a prophylactic move?
1: Absolutely. So pool has lots of prophylaxis. So I'm glad you mentioned that word. So preventative measure, right? So just prevent your opponent from doing A, B, or C. And I think uh, that that pays dividends. And actually, uh, one of the big advantages in pool is... When your opponent can't see the ball, they can't hit their next ball. You can actually get ball in hand. So sometimes don't even make a ball, just get it in a position where your opponent can't even touch their ball next. And it's even better than you taking a hard shot. So many cases it would behoove you to just play safe and then get ball in hand,
0: (laughs) but just play safe. Yeah. You know how many times I I, I sometimes (laughs) tell chess students that, right. You know, where they're, they're going wild. They have a <clears throat> really nice position, and then they they try some convoluted like fourteen move combination that results in checkmate in only one way. You know, and like every other yeah. every other move the opponent does easily parries the threat. Um, so yeah, We're bringing
1: I, back some bad memories,
0: man. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag coach trauma. Hashtag chess uh, coach trauma. Okay. It,
1: it, yeah, that's the light
0: So how thing traumatic thing. is it when you're reviewing a game of a student? You know, you're you're a chess chess coach too. I I should mention that. So we both have a background in um, coaching chess, teaching chess to um, students, both both in you know individual and school settings. Uh, So hashtag coach trauma. How how painful is it? Like what what's the worst like uh, uh, coach trauma you can imagine? Is it is it a student playing a very bad move or, or 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 those fourteen move bizarre combinations that I discussed.
1: I think some of the worst ones that I've seen are, are when you think, "Oh, there's no way, wait,
0: they so can't they possibly lose they, this. They
1: game. cannot. It's impossible <laughs> to lose this game. They told me they lost the game. I'm thinking, okay, this kid's pranking me, right? Right. Like he must be. He's, he's definitely pranking. I saw his
0: position fifteen moves ago. He didn't lose this game.
1: Yeah, it's impossible. He's smiling, laughing. No, can you believe this? I lost it. So. I've had situations where opponents are up of the world. So right. every piece imaginable and somehow their king finds the magical helpmate square. <laughs> I mean it just it, it, it just
0: It's almost like they composed a helpmate. Right? Yeah. Yeah.
1: But but then if I asked them to do that, then they wouldn't do that.
0: <laughs> right. Can you can you show me a helpmate in this position? Oh that's funny. Yeah, I um I know what you mean. I, I feel your pain. I, as, as you know, I've, I've coached for many years, too. And I think, you know, actually, I'm going to say, I'm going to throw this out there. Handwriting is definitely one of the biggest hashtag coach traumas for me. You know, when you have like a move written oh, down on a score sheet that you're trying to go through, and it's just simply, it could be any number of like 15 moves. <laughs> you just can't decipher what move was played.
1: Yeah. Um, looking at students' notation, uh, can be one of the most aggravating and time consuming things. Yeah. I mean, it's almost better if everything was just, just digitalized. Because, you notate.
0: Know, yeah, because. Half,
1: like, especially with the younger players, I mean, half the games you can't even finish. I mean, you have to do a very good deductive reasoning challenge to get through those games. You can piece it together, and sometimes you have to waste time going through part of the game and you realize, <laughs> okay, well, you had to have played that move. My process of elimination okay so let's backtrack 15 minutes
0: okay right there's some lost time i i noticed here on move 15 you played g to q7 could you uh, <laughs> elaborate on <laughs> what this move was oh yeah uh, can
1: you uh mr a uh so the, the answer to your question is to uh put this piece over there on that square and then you'll attack that guy yeah. Yeah, I get those answers in my classrooms. Those well, are why
0: fun. use notation when it's this piece, that square, that guy? Yeah, yeah.
1: who but. needs the coordinates? I'm a mind reader and chess master. All so
0: Mr. A, a is what they call you, not Will the Thrill? Uh, you know,
1: <laughs> they should start calling me Will the Thrill. That'd be funny. <laughs>
0: do you, are your or, students aware of your nickname, Will the Thrill?
1: Some are, uh, mm-hmm. but but some do call me Master Era, though. Which I find
0: funny. <laughs> I always, yeah, I, I, I do like. That <laughs> I always giggle whenever someone calls me Master Caregannis. As well, it's like, wait a second, you know, am I like a Ninja Turtles Sensei, or you know, what what new role have I now acquired? I mean,
1: I am a big Star Wars fan, so if it's a, king,
0: oh yeah, Master Yoda, <laughs> uh, I, I didn't think a of Jedi called.
1: Master. I'll accept that.
0: I always think of Master Splinter, and you know, remember the Ninja mm-hmm. Turtles? He was like the, oh, rat, the old
1: rat with the cane. Oh, of course,
0: of course, yeah. It reminds me of that, and I feel like I have to go get... What did he wear? Like a maroon kimono or something? Do you remember? Uh, I can picture...
1: Or yeah, I, can, I gotta I can Google hear his Master voice, Splinter, but, yeah. Yeah, I can't... I can't Leonardo,
0: a you I know will it's, battle the Foot Clan.
1: <laughs> I remember what the big shredder looks like in the Super Shredder. Yeah, <laughs> he very was, very you
0: know cool what, movies. he was like remarkably frightening as a child. Oh, Absolutely. Yeah, it's like a red kimono, I guess. I don't even know how to describe what Master Splinter. is. I thought is it was like. just,
1: everything was brown, but I, I don't remember. It's
0: well, in the movies, it was brown. In the animated series, it looks like maybe a purple or red. I don't even uh, know if that's a kimono. It's like a karate suit. What are those called? Uh, a, a gi,
1: maybe? Hmm.
0: I'm not familiar with the terminology. Although, <laughs> I have a guest coming up who's arts guy. I can ask him, I guess. <clears throat> um, yeah. Okay. Anyway, back to back to the Will the Thrill. Where did this nickname come from? Will is it just very, uh, you know, it sounds cool. So or is there some genesis here?
1: Uh, I think uh, when I was younger, my dad would just call me Thrill.
0: Hmm.
1: And there's also a baseball player uh,
0: named Will the Thrill Clark. Oh, um, was he? Let me try to remember. Blue Jays. No, uh, Giants. I I'm I think that,
1: I'm pretty sure the Giants. Okay. So that kind of uh, turned into Will the Thrill Aeromill. Because my dad would call me Thrill or Will the Thrill, like Will the Thrill Clark. But I was like, hey, dad, why don't you just call me Will the Thrill Aeromill? Yeah, it goes very <laughs> nicely. Because it, it, you know, it, it, it works. Because how many times are nicknames forced? or they kind of sort of work? I mean, this is just uh, very fluid. It so, was
0: Giants. I'm looking at now. William yeah. Neuschler Clark. Huh, okay. Yeah.
1: So so that's the first memory that I had of it you know, that I can associate with that and I think that's probably why I mean at least subconsciously why he would use that. I'm sure he
0: heard it in sports
1: and it was around that time too. I think like early 90s. Um,
0: do you pop this there. out this nickname? I've heard it in the context of you playing blitz chess. Do you pop it out in blitz games mainly? Uh
1: usually it's just others that call me that. Um, right. I don't go around saying, No, I'm Lou
0: <laughs> <laughs> Hello there. Sir. I know my I am you know my will name <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, 100%. I've seen you play Blitz. I think you're you're a pretty uh, formidable Blitz player. You know, um, I,
1: the, the thing with me, and I, I I've always been a little too hot and cold. So there's times where like I'm struggling to beat experts in Blitz. But then for example, there's times I remember a handful of years ago I was in the US Open and I in the last round I was if I beat the GM I think one and a half out of two I would be the U.S. Open Blitz champion. I want to beat a few GMs and, uh, and the last one too I think I, I got fourth I tied with Gopal uh, behind the three GMs that played. Uh, still it wasn't a good performance but mm. I think I think my hand speed and especially <laughs> in time scrambles I'm I'm pretty good. Uh, my opening repertoire—it's um, kind of behind the times. It's, it leaves a lot to be desired, and even recently, in some of those NBL matches, I—I uh, I kind of—I got punished for a, a poor uh,
0: opening repertoire. So the NBL kind of, is the National Blitz League, correct?
1: Yeah, so it's the National Blitz League, um, put on by uh, Nathan Kelly, Daniel Jones, a bunch of the CCB Chicago Chess Blitzers. So they're doing a bunch of good things, building some national recognition. Uh, yeah, Gopal and I, we played on a team. Uh, I think we got to the semifinals or something like that.
0: Uh, and is that it, hosted, it just,
1: that's hosted online, correct? Yeah, yeah. So I think if you just Google NBL, there's also a thing on Facebook or uh, Nathan Kelly and, and
0: Daniel. Okay, cool. Would you say, uh, so I, I like to ask Blitzplayers this question. Like, what are the defining differences between strong blitz? Because I do think there's such thing as a blitz specialist, somebody who's better at blitz than... Oh,
1: absolutely, and vice versa. I mean, I know right. grandmasters
0: who can't even play blitz at more than a master level. So, What do you, what do you think makes a good... I'm, I'm going to ask all the strong blitz players I have on the show, I'm going to ask this question, and you have the uh, honor of, of, of being the first. What do you think makes a good blitz player?
1: So, first of all, I think you have to be very practical. You, you can't be the guy trying to play perfect chess. The strong blitz players just have a great sense of time. That has to be number one. Because if you don't have a good sense of time, you can't be a good blitz player. Because you're going to overthink in the wrong spots, and you're going to try to play perfect moves in the wrong spots. So you kind of have to know, like, all right, I'm going to take on a worse position, but I'm going to gain time. <laughs> and I know that my opponent, they're going to have a better position, but I have to weather the storm. And as long as I can make this position complicated enough, I can give them trouble in the time pressure. Uh, and the other key thing, you, I think you have to be a quick calculator, quick tactician. Uh, if, if you can't calculate variations and you can't see tactics quickly, in difficult situations, you're just not going to have enough time. So you have to be able to calculate quickly. And I think to become even a higher level blitz player you have to have a very strong opening repertoire so that way you're able to gain time
0: early on Know
1: your stuff early on you put your opponent under time pressure and then when they're overthinking in the opening that's when you kind of uh, pounce and you capitalize and i think that's that's what separate that's kind of why i'm not a, even a stronger chess player and that's why i'm not a stronger blitz player it's probably my, not probably, I know it's my opening repertoire more than sure. anything else. So that's why when you ask someone like Gopal, of course, who is like one of the best Blitz players in the country, uh, I'm, I'm, you know how strong he is at openings and tactics. So that's why you know, he was able to beat Magnus Carlsen in a Blitz game and beat several of the top 25 players in the world. Yeah, you in know, I, it's so,
0: interesting that you led off with the be practical and and focus on time. I remember a a blitz match you and I played in Orlando where you were sitting there with like all your pieces stuck in the corner. You remember this game? And I burned like a minute and a half trying to find the knockout blow. And you said, aha, a perfectionist. And you were right. Like that was my mistake. I burned a minute and a half trying to find a a knockout blow and and couldn't find one. But Um, but like, like in many things,
1: balance is key. So if if you know how to balance. Now you sound like Master Splinter. Yeah, that's
0: right. <laughs> balance <laughs> is key, Leonardo. Yes. All right. <laughs> I can't do a Master Splinter impersonation. It's pathetic. Uh, but what a great, what a great character. So balance is key One in balance.
1: Bl-
0: yeah, I mean, ultimately,
1: if you know how to gauge your time, you're a good tactician, and you kind of know when to spend thirty seconds at a critical moment, or even a minute sometimes. But you know, when you find that move, it's game, game over, it lights out. Then it makes sense. So
0: yeah. You know, I was watching recently. I don't know. Did you catch any of the <clears throat> the blitz action in St. Louis with Kasparov playing with all the top guys?
1: Yeah, some of it. Uh, and he still has some of the best chess knowledge.
0: He's got it. I it see. was it was really interesting yeah. to see, though. I remember one game. It might have only happened once, but it was really interesting. Where on like the second or third move, and I think it was in the chess nine hundred and sixty, he ate up a minute and. Um, you know, uh, a minute off the clock in a five-minute game is, is a big chunk of time, um, and it ended up it ended up being the deciding factor. You know, he just got too low to hold things. Um, so you're right. I mean, the, the practicality really rings true in the quicker yeah. the quicker format. Yeah, and
1: unless you're just absolutely sure you're going to win, or you know that if you don't find the best move, you're going to lose. Mm-hmm. then you know it, it it makes sense right but if there are more ways to skin the cat or there are several roads or paths to victory then take the practical one and the one that requires the least amount of thinking, the least amount of complications and you know that that'll pay dividends in the long run. That that's
0: kind of like the the higher EV strategy. Right. Higher EV that that's interesting because um you know that's a that's like a a betting term correct like uh yeah
1: correct that's so uh, EV poke.
0: expected value right
1: correct that's poker um, sports and, and it seems like a, a lot of uh, chess players do one or the other
0: <laughs> yeah you know I so so that's another thing that I wanted to discuss today um because. I do know, you know, a lot, it seems like a lot of chess players I run into are also poker players. You know, there's some higher profile ones. Um, I think Gruschuk was a poker player for a while. I could be wrong on that. Um, I know, of course, Jen Shahad with the US Chess. Um, And I know you also in particular enjoy poker and you also enjoy um, and, and are fairly good at sports betting. Am am I correct there?
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, like in anything uh, those two fields can kind of be up and down Mm. Uh, i like to play occasional poker tournaments and things like that try to get through big fields uh and also with sports i think sports like if you try to play every day and you try to crush the game i think it's it's too difficult unless you're trying to do it professionally but i think if you can pick your spots and like me personally, I like to do more in the playoffs or predict winners, things like that. Yeah, that's you kind know, of you, more, you that's mentioned- kind of more fun, and and in the long run, you know, you just you, you're not you're not trying to, to beat Vegas, you know, you're just trying to to win in short bursts or, or short um,
0: spots. You mentioned that before we started recording. Um, you know, I, I always have a, a brief chat with all my guests before we before we start the actual show. Um, although it may not seem like it, we do like to be prepared. <laughs> um, and, and one of the things you said that really struck me That I, I want to ask you about Was what you just repeated here You know, you mentioned I, I, I like the playoffs um, You know, you like, to, you like to bet on the playoffs You, you think it's uh, uh, a time when you have a, a better opportunity So I guess my question is, you know, why? I, I, I would think, and this is maybe a Just a, maybe a very rudimentary Elementary understanding of it but I would think in the playoffs, when you have two better teams with better lineups going at one another, that might maybe even be more difficult than than picking a regular season game. Now, I assume we're talking. I just to clarify, I assume we're talking NBA here, right? Uh,
1: yeah, but I, I can also uh, cross over. Uh, but we'll start with NBA.
0: Okay, let's start so, there because you and I are both, you know, big NBA fans. Absolutely. Um, and and uh, we can we probably have a little more knowledge, like common knowledge base there. So, you know, I would think like some kind of regular season matchup. Now, you might not get a great line, but something where like a, a, a very strong team is playing a very weak team would be the quote unquote safer bet. But actually, you're saying, no, I want to play the playoffs. I want to I want to make some playoff bets. What's yeah, and, and,
1: and I think they're a little bit more fun. You know, there's more at stake. Sometimes the problem with regular season is I don't know when teams are going to take a night off. Sometimes when teams are on long road trips, they're kind of like, "Yeah, okay, we're just ready to go home." Or I know certain teams, for example, when they go to L.A. or they go to these or Miami, these hot destinations for nightlife. Some of the NBA players, they'd rather just have fun the night before, and some don't really bring their A game. Maybe they were doing, uh, they were bringing their A
0: game. So uh, you're bringing at, the what, practical the element from the Blitz board <laughs> to the uh, to the NBA yeah. arena. Okay, all right. <laughs> And now with with
1: playoffs, you kind of know what to expect from a talent standpoint. But I want to say one thing that a lot of players kind of uh, look into a little too much is the regular season data when transferring to the playoffs. And I think that's where I find my edge. So I kind of go against the public in many respects. Because someone will say, oh, look at this team, great in the regular season. But I know from coaching, from adjustments and the style of players, that in let's say a seven-game series, one's ability to coach, one's ability to adapt and kind of adjust to the opponent, it's very underrated, and that's that's been evidenced several times. And like even heading into the last playoffs, I talked about the drawbacks of let's say uh, Giannis because of his inability to shoot and teams can scheme and, and kind of dare him to shoot the ball knowing that, hey, if he's going to consistently beat us with jump shots, that's fine. And the other thing is when you play these longer series, the better defensive players have more of an edge the longer you go because they're going to know all your tendencies, all your favorite spots. So maybe in game one, game two, you're going to get those shots off kind of where you want, but later on in the series, they're going to know all your tricks and all your moves. You, you can only have so vast of a repertoire in basketball. So, therefore, <laughs> the, the defensive players when right. going to make those adjustments. And that's why teams, even like the Warriors, they struggle more and more against those types of teams. That's why they... Look, when they lost to the Cavs, and what was the final score? They scored, like, what, 89 points or something very low. They didn't mm. even hit 100. So, that just shows you, Game 7, how come the Warriors, this great offensive team, struggled? Or even... This past Warriors now that was Sons, Durant and Thompson. So
0: right. yeah, I don't think really. that was
1: entire that wasn't entirely fair representation. They though, out
0: very quickly this year in the finals. Yeah. Yeah.
1: but but even uh, let's look at uh, you know Giannis and, and those Bucks. They were like the number one offensive team, right?
0: Yeah, I think uh, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in the regular season, but what happened? Efficiency, I think. Yeah. So
1: look, they won the first two games, right? And then Raptors, the defensive team with
0: all these
1: long high-acumen defensive players started to make all these adjustments. I mean, namely, you know, Kawhi guarding Giannis more, but uh, smart, experienced defensive players, they just gave these uh, Bucks so many problems. And they won four straight. So Nick, Nick Nurse did a heck of a job. But I think many times just when I'm looking at teams, I, I really look at the coaches and how they make adjustments and what kind of players they have. And what these players have shown come playoff time. So what? Some, oh, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So sometimes in the regular season, you know, some teams are just playing, you know, hundred percent. They're playing harder. Some veterans, some experienced teams, kind of pick their spots. Sort of like uh, LeBron James, where he, you know, many times his, his teams don't perform as well as they could in the regular season. They kind of pace themselves. Take. They so you buy into it, the playoff bump.
0: You buy into the turn it on playoff bump.
1: A hundred
0: percent. Is this is Absolutely. this analogous to like the uh, when the when Magnus Carlson goes six six in the in the standard games of the world championship and then they go to rapid and he just wipes her on off the board? Is that the yeah, playoff I'm, bump? <laughs> yeah, and also
1: I think it helps that he was a better uh, quick chess player too. But yeah, 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 I mean something he's like that. Very, yeah, but of very goodness. At- no, Mag- Magnus, when his back has been against the wall in the World Championship matches, he's usually responded. Like when he lost to Karayakan, that's a good
0: point. Yeah, he
1: responds with a whip. Very next game, if he, I recall, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like same thing with Anand. Very like, next all right, game, yeah. He lost the game. His back's against the wall. Boom, counter So yeah. he's shown that you know he's vulnerable in matches, but he's shown very good character and. And
0: very good uh grit each time. So I'm kind of like one of the one of the uh in this regard only, I would describe myself as like a stodgy, cranky old man. (laughs) I really dislike when sports commentators like in an NBA game or or a football game, use the oh it's a chess game out there analogy. Thank
1: God (laughs) I was gonna break this up myself. (laughs) Yeah. I was I was actually itching. Believe it or not, but class, but
0: now I I'm uh, gonna uh, kind of I'm gonna kind of hold you to this though because like, you know you're kind of describing these NBA matchups in a way where maybe that that metaphor would work you know as far as looking at the matchup scheming against a, a player like Giannis you know I remember Popovich and the Spurs they they sort of did the same thing to LeBron they just go ahead take as many threes as you want you know take yeah, those long range <laughs> two three pointer they gave that to him. Um, so I guess I'm going to hold you to it here. Would you say, based on all of the things you just uh, described, as far as what you look at in, a, in making a playoff bet, that an NBA playoff game is the closest professional sports analogy to a chess game? Huh. Because I hate, I hate. Whenever I hear that on a broadcast booth, they're like, oh, "It's a real chess game." No, no, no. Yeah, it's, no, it's it's no. very
1: it's very cringeworthy, and it's definitely
0: overused
1: and not applied in the best spots. Mm-hmm. So definitely, we can agree on that for sure. Uh, so definitely overused and in the wrong spots. Uh, I, I think basketball matchups. It could be. I think uh, boxing. Uh, I think boxing could be uh, even closer to
0: the really chess okay. Yeah, it's I mean hard that would make say. sense because it's it's between two individuals, right? You have yeah. different moves you, you want to try to make during the match.
1: Yeah, and and here's here's why I would make the boxing analogy because in basketball you can be up a bunch of points and you're gonna win the game. But in boxing, you could be winning every single round and then boom, one knockout punch. So <laughs> it's it, it's a it's yeah. that <clears throat> famous saying Yep. Don't let your guard down, right? So right. it's the same thing in chess. I think that's the biggest reason why I could make that analogy more from the knockout or that hundred point shot, whatever you want to call it.
0: I Actually, that's like um that's the, the hashtag, hashtag chess coach drama, to be honest. I mean Absolutely <laughs> really, a- you know, I can't tell you how many times I I say to a student, you know, I'll ask them, do you play any sports? Oh, yeah. You know, I play soccer. I play basketball. Okay, what's the worst thing that could happen in soccer? Well, the other team scores a goal. Can you come back from that? Yeah. What's the worst thing that can happen in basketball? Well, you foul them while they're shooting a three. You know, can you come back from that? Yeah. What's the worst thing that could happen in chess? Maiden one. (laughs) You know, what's, what's the worst thing? What's the second worst thing? Maiden two. You know, you can go down the list. Can you come back from any of those? dropping your queen. No, you cannot let your guard down in chess. That's what makes it so interesting. Yeah,
1: so that's probably why, and I think at higher levels, they just, there's, you know, you know the other person's style, you have plenty of tape on them, but you still have to find a way to trick them, and sometimes you do things for several rounds just to set up a certain punch.
0: So and, is, is so, playing one knight A3 the chess version of the rope dope uh, no, that, that's just,
1: that's just, that's just, I, that's just, I'm a dope and I'm going to get knocked out. <laughs> but Carlson, I think he's played like some night h three, night h six stuff to kind of, uh, troll his opponent. What right? is that? Is
0: that so. like the scorpion? I think.
1: Uh, I don't know the name of it. I don't know if I want to know the name. I watched better. his most recent,
0: uh, I don't know if you, I don't know if you follow, he does these banter blitz things on chest one four. Oh
1: yeah. Yeah. Those are pretty, uh, I think they're underrated because
0: they're so funny. Is- I think. Oh
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and he just reveals a lot, a lot of good information too. I mean, I think it's great. It's great. I mean, how often do you have a world champion streaming
0: all of his games and just telling you what he thinks? And uh, I don't know. I think- the, the, the reason I bring it up is the most recent one, he was playing G5 with Black in pretty much every game against more or less everything.
1: Even Knight F3, G5, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, no, actually, uh, very yeah. seriously, uh, just allowing the pawn to be captured and then playing E5, D5 and and playing mm-hmm. the middle rook g8 you know with the dual threat of of uh hitting the knight as well as the g2 pawn behind it well
1: yeah when you're magnus i guess you could do anything
0: <laughs> yeah um yeah so that's interesting i mean yes first of all i'm very glad that you equally hate that sports analogy of the chess game oh
1: yeah it's it's very annoying.
0: The, the worst is is when it's in the nfl you know and i mean they're literally just calling uh, like the same run play <laughs> up the middle on third down, and that's oh, a real chess game on field. No. no, 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 please no.
1: Now, if you want to talk about Belichick in a chess game, yeah, Belichick plays chess. All the other coaches don't.
0: <laughs> they're, <laughs> the playing classic, they're playing. The classic. They're playing checkers. He's
1: playing chess. Yeah, that is a, an appropriate analogy.
0: Okay, sure. fair enough. I'd buy. He's that. proven
1: that too many times. Look at the Rams, this great offensive team. They couldn't even score in the Super Bowl.
0: Well, all he had they, to do they, was look at what the Bears did to him a few weeks before.
1: Fair enough. Bears kind of laid at, the
0: blueprint there.
1: Yeah, but also, you know, that shows... Todd
0: Gurley's knee also exploded.
1: Yeah, but McVeigh it also showed his uh, lack of experience and, and how to come up with new things, and sometimes you have to save plays.
0: I'm actually uh, going to well, throw this out there. In my opinion, best chess player head NFL football coach. Like, if they were to sit down and, like, actually try to become a GM, I think, no doubt, hands down, it would be Sean McVay. Did you see that ESPN thing where they were, like, you know, third yeah, and complaints. third and five? Yeah, they were going back, like, three years. It was, like, you know, 2016, third and five against the Titans. What did you call? And he, and he told them the play that he called. You know what I mean? I mean, that kind of memory and attention to detail Translates very well to chess, you know, like o- open theory, noticing tactics. I think McVeigh, he has like that Rain Man quality, you know, where he can just remember a football play that he called five years ago. He would he would make an awesome chess player. Sean McVeigh, if you're out there listening to this podcast, I'm happy to give you I'm, I'm, I'm offering some free chess uh, lessons here. I think he'd yeah. be a GM.
1: Yeah, you know, all we need are a few uh, tickets to some games. That's all we need. Wink, wink.
0: Yeah, wink, wink, uh, you know, <laughs> under the table. If you want to throw us a few tickets here and there, no problem. But we just want but, to see how good of a chess player you could be. I,
1: I do want one disclaimer, though. So maybe this is why he lost in that Super Bowl, or the Rams lost. Is it perhaps that Belichick had two weeks to do a little spy gate? and know all their (laughs) plays because it certainly seemed like belichick knew every single freaking play that those rams were running it's like wow everyone is blanketed every play it was nuts i'm sure Gurley being uh like on the mend didn't help
0: but come on
1: i mean it just seemed like they were shadows so i'm just throwing that out there just so so
0: in other words maybe they should be looking in the sky for a drone with a Patriots logo, is what you're saying?
1: I mean, look, once you've you've cheated, or once you've uh, broken the the rules, then uh, who's to say you wouldn't do it again? (laughs) And just in a sneakier way, right? So, that's always been the the caveat with uh, Belichick and the Patriots.
0: Yeah, and as technology gets even smaller and more effective, you know, we have the same problem in chess, right? Um, The constant battle to Maintain fair play in the face of ever-evolving technology uh, is difficult.
1: Yeah, that's why I'm not a big fan of uh, online chess either. Mm-hmm. At least not for any heavy stakes. I think right. you know you it's more for, for a
0: fun fun thing. Yeah, 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 like
1: the NBL. I think that's a that's a great thing. Uh, but uh, in terms of like something really uh, sanctioned and mm-hmm. high high prizes. I think you almost have to have a, a local center where there's a TD monitoring.
0: Right? Yeah. I think, well, in fact, also- some of the, some of the events where, you know, I remember there was a collegiate league that I used to play in where we had a TD. I believe yeah, the U S amateur team events still have TDs on site during the event. So, um, yeah, but I'm with you. I'm with you. It's, it's a challenge. Uh, will getting back to chess and, and pulling it back. um, we're, we're going to we're gonna reel this back in because we've sort of gone way off the rails, which is great. I love talking about all topics. but because This um, is
1: a three-hour segment, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, three hours, right. I think the listeners now are, are beginning to get an appreciation of my jack-of-all-trades comment at the beginning. I mean, you and I could talk sports for hours. We could talk pool for hours. We, we could go pretty much any direction. But I do want to talk a little chess with you because, after all, this is the chess underground um i i know i understand you are the founder is that correct and owner of dynamic chess is that right
1: yeah Uh uh-huh so this is it right here dynamic chess uh websites dynamicchessinc.com. could you Uh,
0: just tell us a little bit i i know so um i'm a bad host here i know you very well so of course i know all your chess activities you're heavily involved in the chicago area with uh coaching playing all that stuff could you maybe just give us an idea of of what you've got on your plate right now, um, what you're working on, how you're involved in the chess community, uh, any tournaments you have coming up, that sort of thing. Let, let us know what, where you're at. Uh, so heading into this year, uh,
1: looking uh, at about 15 school programs. Wow. I do um, summer camps, winter camps, spring break camps, all that good stuff and little private lessons here and there. I'm finding less and less time for that as I'm trying to grow the business, scale it, things like that. I'm also trying to get into, uh, some more streaming, uh, with, uh, with, uh, Audger. Oh, very uh, nice. Michael uh, Audger. Yeah. Master. Michael Audger, yes. uh, Max Zinsky, Akash Maduri. So we're going to probably do some stuff together. Great. Uh, I'll probably do some streaming for the NBL if they want me to, and things like that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just uh, what I've been doing since uh, August of, or September of 2010. At least I was incorporated through Dynamic Chess. And, yeah, just trying to grow the program and uh, get more students on board. Uh, I coached OPRF, OPRF and uh, Whitney Young for uh, several years.
0: Whitney Young was um, two-time state champion? In the no, 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 no. Uh, no I'm well, just Whit- talking in the past, like, three or four years, right? Didn't they win mm-hmm. it two out of the past four?
1: Something like that. I don't remember. I know that when I coached with them, I mean, Paul Cash is the head coach and he was also the co-founder of Dynamic Chess. Um, We won together in 2011, 2013. And then I know Gopal, uh, he took over after me. There was like a year gap he took over and he won a few years and recently, they became uh, national co-champions. I think like last year, if I'm not mistaken. I, I think, so.
0: if I'm not mistaken, they won the K twelve or something like that, or, or were yeah. co-champions in the K twelve. Yeah, they
1: they tied with I think uh, maybe Virginia Thomas Jefferson. I, I right.
0: Don't don't quote me
1: on that. I just it's from my memory. So.
0: Yeah, Whitney Young has been one of the powerhouse schools in in Chicago, and I would say national chess for a while. Um, when when they travel, they do they tend to do very well. Yeah.
1: I'd like to say that I was part of the first championship there, so I kind of helped very build this championship consistency. Let's quote it at that.
0: What year was that, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, that was
1: 2011, and then again in 2013. Cool. We probably should have won in 2012, too. So we would have been, I think, first team ever to 3P. Mm-hmm. And then the, la- the last year that I was with the team in 2013, uh, there was... Um, It was so dominant that we could even give away boards 1 and 8 every match, and we would have won every match. So it just shows you we didn't even need board 1 or 8. No, that's particularly
0: impressive because a lot of people don't know how the Illinois State Championship works. The board scores are weighted, and the first board is very heavily weighted. I I don't recall offhand. I think it's 12 points for a win on board 1. Is that right?
1: Yeah, so I can break it down for you very quickly. Uh, It's out of 68 total points. Okay. Um, It goes board 1, 12, board 2, 11, board 3, 10, all the way down to 5 for board 8. Okay. If you just count the top three boards, 12 plus 11 plus 10, that's 33, and 68 wins the match. So it kind of still... So 35 team. would the ma- win,
0: win the match, right?
1: So thir- 34 and a half is what you Right, mean, 34 40. and a half,
0: okay. Right. Yeah,
1: so uh, basically if you win the top three boards and draw anywhere else, you're going to get a minimum of two and a half for board eight, which is five, so you get half of that. Right. Uh, but so sometimes teams are really top-heavy, but their bottom five boards just know how to move the pieces and they still lose a match. So mm-hmm. it still puts an emphasis on overall strength and teams. So certain teams are super deep and very similar all the way down from top to bottom, but it has shown over time that you still need some studs on the top few boards to be very competitive for the championship at least. You can be one of the top teams without that, but but to win the championship, I mean, uh, the last year's teams, I think, uh, um, so... Like a Matthew Stevens or George Lee. So, these are 23, 2400 players. Yeah, like George Lee, 2500. Right. I know Stevens is uh, uh, the national uh, co champion. Correct, so, yeah. And I think so these, those are the types of players. Minutes, yeah. but, but look, those are the players whose teams won that, the last few years that I can remember. So,
0: right. Uh, makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I mean, so, so that's impressive. You know, giving away board one and eight, it's not giving away two points from eight points, it's giving away. 17 from Correct. you know because board one is 12, so that's quite an that's, half, that's,
1: yeah. that's half of the way to 34, which right. tie them is 34 and a half to win. So,
0: hmm. Well, Will, uh, this has been a pleasure. I, uh, I, I feel like we we really could fill a three hour segment, no problem. We have so much, to no talk about. problem. Uh, I mean, no, all you gotta
1: do is mention LeBron versus Jordan,
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, actually, that's gonna be uh, maybe our next podcast is Will and I sit down and debate LeBron versus Jordan. Um, and, and I would love to have you back sometime because we have so much more to talk about. Um, but thank you. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for being here. Um, and thank you for all the work you do, um, especially in the Chicago area. I know, uh, you know that's near and dear to my heart, being a fellow Illinoisan. Um, uh, your work is appreciated. And your appearance on, on the, the Chess Underground is appreciated as well. Well,
1: thanks for having me back. And always uh, a pleasure to be Robin to uh, Batman. <laughs> I'm Batman.
0: <laughs> <laughs> See, I can do a Batman. I can't do Splinter, but I can do the I'm Batman. <laughs> I'll work on my Splinter. Baby. There you go.
1: <laughs> At least all I right. need to bring
0: something else. You can be me. a Master Splinter to my Batman. <laughs> all right, well, I'll accept it. two masks. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you again, Will. This has been fun, and we'll talk soon. All right, all right. right. thanks, Pete. Take care. Nice all, all right, have a good one. Thank you for listening to the Chess Underground, a US Chess podcast. Please check out our entire suite of podcasts which release every Tuesday and include Ladies Night with Chen Shahad, as well as Chess Life cover stories and One Move at a Time with Dan Lewis. Until next time, signing off, Pete Carrionis.